Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The question I want to start out with this morning. What really matters to you? What's the most important thing to you in your life? It'd probably be a little bit different as if I asked each one of you face to face. But the question I have, would you tell me what you think I want to hear or what you think you ought to say? Or if you looked at what you spent the most time talking about or arguing about with your neighbor lately, would it be the same thing? I recognize that it would make a difference if we're talking about what's the most important thing in our business or how to run a church, or how to run our home. But should the, question, should the answer to the question be the same for all three of those? I stand before you this morning struggling with this very thing. So this message is as much to me as it is to you. Um, I think that's why it's been on my mind lately. Is It's easy to get caught up In current events, it's easy to get caught up in what's going on around us. And I struggle at times to remember, to come back to, what is the most important thing for me to worry about, to discuss, to talk about? I don't think it's wrong to think about other things. Um, Last weekend we had a camp out with a number of friends, had a good time, and there were times where maybe I, I I do know I took took an argument too far, and so I, I, I struggle with this just as much as anyone, and I don't think it's wrong to have opinions about current events, things happening around us. But I think we need to remember to always bring it back to what is most important. This morning I wanted to talk about, I believe, I I looked back and I can't find any record that I preached on it, but I'm guessing most likely Jerry did at some point. Um, But the Jewish people had the same struggles we do. Getting caught up with the nations around them getting caught up to try to be like them, as we've just been studying in our Sunday school lesson. They wanted a king just like the nations around them. They thought it would be easier or better or more favorable to them. As we think about what's happening in our nation and in our world right now. It's easy to get caught up in thinking in things very short-term, wanting, not wanting to lose our freedoms, not wanting to lose the life that we've enjoyed for many decades in this country. So this morning I thought I would look at the, the seven feasts of the Jewish people that God set up when he gave them the law of Moses. 
Like I mentioned earlier, the Jewish people struggled with the same things we did, to get caught up in the world around them. But seven times a year, they took time out of their schedule. Everything else was put aside, and they celebrated these seven feasts. How many know what three feasts um, the Jewish people celebrate in the month of September? Two have already happened, and one is happening this week. I know Jerry knows the answer to this, so I'm looking to someone else. How many can name one of the three feasts? Feast of Tabernacles is the one coming up this week. They've just got done celebrating two and earlier in the month. Yom Kippur, um, one more. Yes, Rosh Hashanah, if I have that right. I have, I have it in my notes later, but Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of the Tabernacle. The three feasts that they have in the springtime... Um, are grouped very close together. And then they have one in the summer months, and then they have three in the fall. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I believe we as believers, it's one of the good reasons we have communion, council meeting and communion, is to help bring us back to remember what is important. I think that's why God set up the feast for the children of Israel But we recognize that, like I said earlier, we get caught up in the things around us. We get caught up in current events. And even Jesus dealt with current events. The disciples did. Paul did. But they didn't allow it to control their their thinking or to change their thinking. They were always brought back to, I believe, Jesus Christ, to God and what is most important. Yes, there's a lot going on in our world today. And I, I don't think it's correct to think that we as believers would not discuss what's going on. And I'm just going to mention some of these, not to start a controversy this morning, but to realize that there are churches that are dividing over this. There are churches struggling with this more than we are. And I'm grateful that we are not struggling with it more. But there are people who are getting up in arms about... COVID treatments, vaccines, and the way that the country, the, the government is dealing with it. But we need to be careful not to let that divide us and to come back to what's most important. Satan would love for us to allow our disagreements on these things to take our eyes off of Christ. And I believe many people who claim to be Christians in the last year and a half have done that. That's nothing new. Satan will use happy things, sad things, difficult things to distract us and discourage us. We must remain focused on Jesus Christ. So why am I looking at the seven feasts? What does that have to do with Jesus Christ? And I believe it's because these seven feasts, what they did for the children of Israel was to point to eternal things, 
it had a spiritual message to each one of them. And as we look, break them down, look at them a little closer, we will see that. You might say, why are, we look, why are we worrying about the feast or looking at the feast? Aren't we Christians living under the new covenant? And it's true. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We are living under the new covenant, but at the same time, I believe there's a lot of spiritual truths that we can learn from them today. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a new, a piece of new garment upon an old, for if otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles and both preserved. Why do I read that? Well, Jesus, this, this parable, this teaching was mentioned three times in three different, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I think it's important. God wanted us to remember that we, can't, we should not try to carry things from the old covenant into the new if Jesus did not teach it. And there are Christians today who are following these feasts or some of these feasts. And I don't believe that is necessary, but at the same time, I think we shouldn't just ignore them either. But there's a lot we can learn from them. The first three um, like I mentioned, are called spring holidays. You have a fourth that's the summer. The last three are fall holidays. The first three look at the first coming of Jesus Christ. The second, the summer, I'm sorry, the summer holiday points to the beginning of the new covenant and Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. And the last feast and holidays point to the end times. I'm going to look at what each one represented to the Jews. And some of this was difficult as I was studying yesterday. One person would say one thing, another, another. And so what I tried to look at was actual Jewish, um, non-Messianic Jews and what they say about each of these holidays. Because once you start looking into material from Messianic Jews, their views and how they look at the feast do, does change a little bit, even if they still... Follow it just if for family connections, if no other reason. The first one, the Feast of Pesach or Passover. I think this one is very familiar to us. A lot of the, there's a lot of similarities with our communion, and we don't do all the different foods that they do at this feast, but yet there are similarities. Jesus commemorated Passover when he was here on earth. And we know that that's what the Jews were commemorating when, uh, over the time of his crucifixion. But they kept commemorated it to, to remember their experience in Egypt when they were commanded to kill a lamb and put its blood on the doorpost. The angel of death would pass over and not kill the firstborn of the household if there was the blood of the perfect lamb on the doorpost. And I think that's an easy one for us to see the representation of Jesus 
being the perfect lamb, offering his blood so that those who come to him will be protected. But not from the physical death as was in Egypt, but from the spiritual death, the second death as we look in. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20. Uh, while you're looking that up, I'll read uh, a couple of verses from Revelations 2, 10 and 11. Fear not none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have a tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And then we'll read verses 12 to 15 of Revelations 20. And I saw the dead and the small great and great stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And listen closely. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so Jesus came, offered himself, rose again, so that you and I, if we turn to him, follow him, we do not have to experience the second death. So in that sense, we see it paralleling very closely with the Passover lamb. The next feast I'm going to look at is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It represented the idea of removing sin and leaving the life of sin behind. To Christians, it represents the idea that without Christ, it is nearly impossible to live a perfect, holy life. And as we look through the Old Testament, there were very few believers who were able to live a holy life in the Old Testament. There were a few, but it was, it was very difficult. But through Christ, he makes it possible to do that. And so we have that similarity there as we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third feast of the spring was the first Feast of First Fruits. Farmers offered the first fruits of their crops, or the early crops that they would raise in the spring. Jesus was offered as a first fruit of the Jewish nation. Then we come to the summer feast, Pentecost. And I never thought about it before this way. Maybe you, dis- maybe you agree, disagree, but I want to get your thoughts going on this. Think about this. But Pentecost fell 50 days after the last of the spring feast. It commemorated the giving of the law to Moses, the Ten Commandments given by God to the children of Israel. And we also know that's when God sent, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit down to dwell in the lives, in the hearts and lives of believers. And so in a sense, just as the Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law, which was the beginning of the Old Covenant, the giving of the Holy Spirit commemorated the beginning of the New Covenant 
the beginning of the church. And from there we see the church growing quite rapidly there in Jerusalem and then through persecution spreading out around the world. Before the law was given, before the Old Covenant was given to Moses and the children of Israel, there was no obvious, there was no clear law about how to live. Obviously, murder was wrong, and sacrifices were required from time to time as we read back through those who lived for God before that. But after the giving of the law, it was very clear what God required. There were sacrifices that were to be done at certain times of the year. There were laws to be lived by. Some of them required the death penalty if disobeyed. But at Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, God sent the Holy Spirit. This, to me, marks the clear beginning of the new church, of the church age and the new covenant. And I believe we're still living under that today. Then we come to the fall feast, the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is the first one, the Feast of Trumpets. To the Jews, it represents the first day of the new year. It's like January 1st to us, except they celebrate it very differently. And it's much more important that they celebrate it in the right way. The Jews blow the shofar numerous times during the feast. One person I came across in my studying actually said in their group it would be blown hundreds of times during the feast. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we think of the Jews, they mark the beginning of a new year. Like we say, turn over a new leaf, make changes in your life to live better. But there's also the blowing of the shofar represents something else for us as believers. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the trump, sorry, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. One of my favorite passages as we think about no matter what difficulty, especially the persecuted church, as they look for hope to recognize that there is something better coming, that the Lord will not tarry forever. And verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the blowing of the shofar that the Jews do during this feast to us as believers, represents the blowing of the trumpet when the church is raptured. And then the new year will be in heaven, not here on this earth anymore.
it definitely will be a new, not only a new year, but new life and new bodies. I came across the interesting thing that some groups of Jews perform during the Rosh Hashanah feast. Not all do, and so don't, don't misunderstand. It's not done by all the Jews. But about 500 years ago, some Jews started performing um, tash, Tashlik. I, I knew I was going to mess that up when I said it this morning. But they throw a piece of bread into a body of water that has fish to symbolize the casting off of sins. And even though this is a man's tradition added to it, I thought it's fascinating that many thousands, tens of thousands of Jews practice this today and that we can find a similarity as we think about the rapture that we will cast off our bodies in the rapture for our new ones. The second fall feast is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. To the Jews, this is the time of making things right with God and fellow man, similar to what we do during our council meeting. But how does it fit into, when, we, when I said that we look at the last three feasts, the fall feast, as being the end times? To me, this feast represents the seven-year tribulation, and we do know through Scripture that many Jews will be atoned, will make things right with God during this time period. It promises that there will be 144,000 that are virgins, never married, who turn to God, and I believe there will be many more. But it's another very important day to the Jews. I found a video yesterday of a Jew in New York City talking about what Rosh Hashanah meant to him. He talked about um, sorry, I said Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. And he talked about how that the Jews will talk about in their services during Rosh Hashanah of putting their names in the book of life, having their names written there. And then during Yom Kippur, they talk about how their names are sealed in the book of life. And I checked to make sure this wasn't a Messianic Jew, Jewish group or anything like that, and it was not. It was a Reformed Judaism, so nothing to do with Christianity. And yet those are terms that we see in Revelations when it speaks of the end times and the judgment of all people. And so we see there God using those feasts and those times to point to Christ and to his plan for the world. That brings us to the last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the feast where practicing Jews build booths or tents, temporary housing outside of their homes. It represented the time of living in tents in the wilderness and of the end of harvest. And I just recently, I knew about this for a long time, but learned that even Jews who live in cities and apartments find ways to build booths. And they'll take a porch, an outdoor porch or whatever, and put canvas, tarp, 
plywood and build a temporary booth and they live in that for a week. So they take it very serious, those that are practicing Jews and follow all the, all the feast. And it's said that even there are even non-Jewish people today that practice this, this feast. And I don't, I don't believe it's necessary, and I think we need to be careful about getting in and like, trying to fully practice these feasts. Because it is something that was under the Old Covenant and not the New. But thinking about what could this feast represent to us, the idea of the end of harvest, and I think we can see it in the end of the harvest of the world. Jesus talked about how, in a spiritual sense, that the time will come when there's a harvest of souls, and some will end up in heaven and some will end up in hell. But for those who are believers, who are right with God, it's a time of of joy, of feasting that we will have with God and Jesus in heaven. On Yom Kippur, Jews often fast, but on this holiday, there's no fasting, no making sacrifices like that. It's about feasting and rejoicing in the end of the harvest and being grateful for what God has done. So as we go back to my thought at the beginning of the message... The Jews in Jesus' day were focused on the Romans occupying their nation. They wanted physical deliverance. And it's true, and it's similar, easy for us today to focus on the wanting deliverance from laws and taxes and things that we're dealing with today. But our focus should not stay on that, should not dwell on that. We should, our focus should be greater than that. So turn with me in closing to Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. In glory, and I hope that's where our focus is. I hope that's where our heart is, and not in this world below. Lord bless each one of you.